welcome to another season of uh, From the Rookery. And right, is it actually a new season yet? Uh, it's the, uh, the Saturday before the start of the season. Uh, that's uh, Premier League football fan talking. Uh, my name's John, and with me is Colin. Good afternoon. Uh, and this season, and as every season we've done from the recruit, uh, is basically our take on life as a Watford fan. Uh, coming up uh, in today's episode, we're going to be uh, talking to Colin, another Colin, Colin Payne, about the new Watford Treasury publication. More than a fanzine, isn't it? It's a sort of historical document. It is, and it's fantastic. We'll talk to him about that later on. Uh, plus, we'll also okay. uh, be looking at the unveiling of the Graham Taylor statue that happened earlier on today because we're here at Vicarage Road uh, Watford against Sampdoria currently 1-0 uh, to Sampdoria it's always different Vicarage Road on a day like this isn't it well it's boiling hot for a start so they, they sold uh, the Sir Elton John stand and they sold upstairs in the Graham Taylor stand and they, they sold the family stand which is where we're sitting I haven't sat in here for about five or six years so it's quite nice to get uh, slightly nostalgic watching the game from here but uh, rather comically the sun, as we all know, beats down on the Sir Elton John stand in such a way that they've had to move all the people that are sitting in the sun into the rookery because they're literally being baked alive. Uh, but it's great to be here. It's great to, to be watching uh, our team against, you know, uh, illustrious opponents. I think they finished ninth in Serie A. They were looking to get into Europe, but they didn't quite manage it. Uh, and it's obviously a day to remember Graham Taylor and, uh, and to see the new statue. Uh, we're not going to talk seriously about uh, the game we see in front of us like we normally do. Uh, we'll start that next week when we, uh, the season starts. Uh, but let's start this podcast uh, looking at what happened uh, around lunchtime outside Vicarage Road. It was the unveiling of Graham Taylor's statue. It was a magnificent event uh, with people of all ages. You can tell there were plenty of people who were Watford fans before Graham, plenty of people who were Watford fans because of Graham, uh, and lots of people bringing their sons and daughters uh, because that's the type of club that Graham created. So here is a, a bit of a, a little montage of what was said uh, just before the statue was revealed, uh, and after that you'll hear me chatting to Lana Burney, our podcasting co-host, uh, who's been doing the Catching Up With series that you might have heard our interviews with uh, Andy Hess and Tyler this week. Uh, and also Sir Nigel Gibbs uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they'll, be, they'll be continuing, but of course he's the man who wrote uh, the autobiography, Graham Taylor, in his own words. And uh, we spoke to Lionel just after the unveiling to get his feelings. So this is what happened today. Shortly we'll be unveiling a statue of the club's greatest ever manager, Graham Taylor. I'd like to invite Scott Duxbury, Chairman and Chief Executive Officer of Watford Football Club, to lead the tributes. Graham is a special place at this football club, a really special place, and it will never ever be forgotten. Six years ago, when we bought this club, many supporters had concerns about the ownership, and indeed me. Graham was the first person to phone me, to reassure me, to tell me the values of Watford Football Club, and pretty much tell me how I should run it. <laughs> Six years later, I'm still deeply motivated to make sure we meet those values and meet those expectations that Graham so clearly set in that phone call. So yes, today is of course about a statue to honour Watford's greatest ever manager. But for all of us, the statue is so much more. It's to ensure and acknowledge that whilst we've lost a friend, he will never be forgotten. Now, to speak on behalf of the players and staff that worked with Graham, please welcome Luther Blissett. A little while after his passing, one of Graham's beloved grandchildren shared a pre-match quote from him. 
That really stuck home to me about um, our remarkable manager and his approach to football and life. It sums up the spirit Graham instilled in the dressing room and supporters alike. A spirit which created many golden times for us all on and off the pitch. In life, there are so many opportunities. They are always around and about us. There are too many people in life that never see them. Then there are those people who see the opportunities but don't grasp them. Then there are the other people who are generally life's winners. They see the opportunities, they go looking for them and they take them. And that's what you're facing now on the field, on the football field. Now go out there and take it. It's yours. Unfortunately, though, we didn't win that game. <laughs> because let's face it, you can't win them all. And that was something that, you know, that we, we soon all understood on how to deal with that. Graham Taylor made history with his achievements here at Vicarage Road. He set the absolute gold standard for future managers and players. That past is important. It should be respected and celebrated, not feared or forgotten. It should demonstrate what can be achieved when everyone commits to a cause and community. This is Graham Taylor's legacy. Honesty in achievement. Be better as players and as people. This statue will enable every one of us who is a true Hornet heart to remember what made our club so special. Thank you, Rita and family, for letting us, the players, have Graham on loan. And thank you, GT, for giving Watford more than great football, a club with a unique spirit and an inspired heart. I'd now like to invite the Taylor family to step forward. And Joanne, I think, is going to speak on behalf of the family. I think first of all, I'd like to say, for those of you who knew Dad, let me reassure you that this speech will be short and sweet. <laughs> I would like to quote in Dad from his autobiography, which would make him smile as he would not believe that I was allowing him to have the last word. <laughs> so in the words of Dad, I have never changed my opinion that football is a game for the people. During my career, I tried not to lose sight of the fact that we were striving to be successful for the supporters as well as for ourselves. Yes, we could all carry on playing the game without them, but there wouldn't be anything like the sense of enjoyment and satisfaction when things go well. Those memories can never be forgotten. Thank you. And Rita, with her family alongside her, will perform the official unveiling. So Lionel, we've just seen the unveiling. What was your, your first uh, reaction to seeing the statue of Graham? There's such a burden on the sculptor, isn't there, to get it right. And I think the sculptor's done a fantastic job because it captured Graham at work. He's on the bench, as we remember him from the 80s, in his Watford tracksuit. The attention to detail on the tracksuit is fantastic. It's even got the little Umbro logo on there. These are the things that I pick up on immediately. But when I came past earlier with the, the sheet over it, I was worried 
it looks quite low and I'm thinking that the best statues are the ones that are up high on a big plinth but as soon as it was unveiled I they've got it absolutely right because it's interactive people can come and sit as they are now Rita and uh, I think Harry the Hornet are currently (laughs) sitting next to Graham Taylor there fans can come and sit on the bench with Graham they can touch his hand they can give him a kiss he doesn't need to be six foot above looming over everybody that wasn't what Graham Taylor was like he was he was one of us as a supporter he knew why he was managing the football club for the supporters obviously for his success for the player success but he saw the bigger picture and I think they've got that absolutely right in having him down on our level um, so we can actually I'm looking forward to going and sitting next to him in a quiet moment and and having a picture taken um, next to Graham Taylor and of course everyone can do that so first impressions are absolutely perfect job the perfect tribute the whole day of sort of celebrating Graham uh, we're going to have this that day every single uh, season but particularly poignant because of, of this statue do you remember the first time you met him? Yeah, I do. Did you spend a lot of time with him writing uh, the, the autobiography with him? Well, my first ever interaction with Graham Taylor was when I was a child and they had the family open day here in Vicarage Road and remember the old Vicarage Road end terrace and they had little tables set up all the way around on the, uh, the pitch level where all the players were sitting to do autographs and you'd queue up and get your yearbook signed or whatever, posters signed. I queued up to meet Graham Taylor and get... Graham Taylor to sign his page in the yearbook. I can remember saying, and again, this is probably a creation in my mind as years have gone by, but I, my, I remember saying, he asked everyone a question, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, I want to play for Watford, and if I'm not good enough, I want to manage Watford. And if I'm not good enough for that, I want to write the programme. <laughs> and I must have been eight, nine, maybe, nine, ten maybe, so we're talking 1985... Again, the kind of the memories all kind of blur together, but that I can remember queuing up under this kind of parasol, kind of white plastic furniture that they put out for everyone to sit around. So that was the first time I ever met him, and um, really I was talking to somebody uh, just before the um, the statue was unveiled, and it was nice that well Luther and Joanne both read bits from Graham's autobiography uh, as part of their speeches, and. Uh, that was fairly poignant and a lump in my throat there. And, and I just thought, yeah, that Graham's autobiography, from my perspective, was sort of 30 years in the making just for me. It was obviously 70 years in the making for him. So, yeah, that was the first time I met him, I think. The thing about Graham, in what sums, sums him up as a man, everyone's talked about him and what he achieved uh, since his, his passing. And we want to sort of gather him by his interactions. As Lionel just said, that when he first met him, and over the last couple of years, we've gathered uh, fans and ex-players and former managers on when they first met Graham and the impression he made on them. When I was about 16, the club were looking for somewhere for the young players to live when they first joined the club. My dad wanted the inside track on the club, so Graham Taylor came round to kind of vet us, and we must have passed because we ended up with Steve Terry. But then after about two years, my mum was really fed up because Steve had an enormous appetite. He would like go through the larder like a plague of locusts. So she rang the club and like, she said, like, I'm really sorry, but Steve's got to go. I can't cope with his feeding requirements. Graham Taylor came round and 10 minutes with my mum and she'd not only agreed to keep Steve, but she'd agreed to take John Barnes as well. <laughs> so he, he was just incredibly persuasive. You know, My mum's not an easy nut to crack, but uh, Graham cracked it. Janine's story there, one of many who were charmed by Graham. David Coles met him after a fans forum when Graham was chairman 
and got to see his open and honest side. So we've been at, at your place event, Sean Dyche season, the only season, unfortunately. Sean was getting a lot of flack on the floor about he wasn't blooding the youngsters. There was a few youngsters that got bloodied under Sean Dyche and Malky Mackay season and they weren't getting game time. And Sean was saying he'd only played them when they were ready and, and they weren't ready and he was protecting the youth. So Sean did a good job. Then at the end of the At Your Place event, we were walking out with my dad and my friend Avi. We just bumped into Graham Taylor. And my dad had met Graham Taylor's dad on the Kaiser's Lawn trip, first European trip. And he'd spent a lot of time with Graham's dad and he you know, really enjoyed it. And, it. and he really kind of just opened up to us after that, that he knew... You know, we were Watford people, and he said, "Look, I, you know, I know you're Watford people, and you know this doesn't go anywhere." He said, "But Dyche has got it wrong. You, you know, you've got to play your young, promising kids. Actually, if they're good enough, you know, they're old enough." And he said, "Dyche has got it wrong. He should be playing the kids." We had a great chat, and he said, and then he was going, "I didn't want to tell him that because um, Elton never fiddled with me." And uh, we had a laugh about that. It was a great moment. Uh, we really got to share that he, he made you feel as though he's your best friend. And uh, he took the risk that we wouldn't say that to anybody. And, uh, and we didn't. And um, so, yeah, it, it, was a great, it was a great moment that, that we shared. Until now. <laughs> you are, until now yeah. When Sean Fulton met Graham, his generosity of time and his love of a chat shone through. I was at school, I was at Watford Boys, he came to talk to us in the sixth form. Being quite a big Watford fan, I got a chance to uh, essentially uh, introduce him. And I was also doing a media studies project, and we were doing some Saturday morning kids-style TV show, and come how it came, we thought, this is an opportunity to see if we get Graham Taylor to interview him for this. So during lunch for it, we asked him, and it was a Saturday before either a Tranmere game or the Bury game. Can't remember which one it was. In my memory, it was a Tranmere game. It kick-started the run. <laughs> we asked him, and he said, of course, absolutely no problem at all. So after he spoke to the rest of school, he went, we went back to headmaster study, set everything up, and I thought he may, if we're lucky, we might be given five minutes. But he must have been with us for half an hour, 45 minutes, answering every question as if it was the first time we'd ever been answered it. And it's as everyone says, you know, he made you feel like you were really important and he really valued you. And afterwards, we were just chatting, and I mentioned I worked at the club shop. He said, oh, how do we pay you? And I said, oh, yeah, it's really good. You know, be nervous, going, oh, yeah, you pay us great. And he was like, son, let me teach you some advice. Anyone ever ask you how much, how, we, how is our salary, you always say it could be better, or words to that effect. And it was just one of those bits of advice, which, like, he could, again, he didn't need to do that, and he just made you feel really important. And it was about um, two, three weeks later, I was walking past the ground, and a car slowed down, gave me a honk, and I wasn't sure who it was, and I turned around and I realised it was Graham Taylor. Not only did he give me that, he remembered me, and everyone says the same, so, but he was just such an amazing man, and uh, yeah, I just feel lucky that I actually got a proper chance to meet him. I met him a few times, but about three years ago, most memorably, I, was, I had no idea he was there. I was um, in Dalling's Wine Bar in Kings Langley, having a drink, drinking the Watford Sauvignon Blanc, you know, nice Watford label on the wine. Sat there with my mate drinking this wine and suddenly tap on the shoulder. Turns out it's Graham. He, he had been in there. He was leaving. He saw us, saw the wine, taps on the shoulder. Hello, ladies. And introduced us to Rita, joined us for about probably 10, 15 minutes, having a good old chat. And it was just so unexpected and just so nice. And he was so friendly and it was amazing. And it totally made our night. More charm from Graham when he met Alice Arnold. Next, as a young girl, Frances Lynn saw how important children were to his Watford way. When we were teenagers, Watford used to train at Shendish. We went over walking the dog to um, 
try and catch them there but we didn't know what days they were there we went over one day and they weren't there another day we wandered over and we saw them all running out which was brilliant we were so excited about it and they started this training session and my little sister was picking up the ball and holding it until a player would come over and pick it up from her and so GT sort of looked at her and said you can throw it you know <laughs> at which point she started throwing the ball to them then Nigel Callahan was practicing his ball skills and our ball a colleague decided to join in and help him and gave him a sort of a better defensive game than most of the defenders at the time were Uh, but what I take from that day is we were a bunch of teenagers disrupting their training session and GT never said a word to us or made us feel as though we shouldn't have been there and I think that's a measure of the man and that is one of the things that I absolutely loved about him and, and maybe when I fell in love with him. I was very fortunate to meet Graham Taylor on two occasions. The first occasion was in September 1995. I was on a charity event with three colleagues going around all 92 league clubs in five days raising money. It got to Wednesday afternoon and we reached Molyneux. Graham Taylor was Wolves' manager at the time. And Graham Taylor was in the reception. I approached Graham just to say hello to him. At the time, I was wearing my, I think it was the Mizuno Watford shirt. Graham immediately recognised the shirt. And a big smile came across his face. And before I could say anything, he said, gosh, you're a long way from home. Had a very brief chat with him because I was on a very tight time scale. The second time I met Graham Taylor was after we won promotion in 1998. I had a lovely conversation with Graham that day. Um, And he actually remembered me from the time... I met him at uh, Molyneux. The man was just brilliant, genuinely lovely, and what he did for Watford Football Club will never be bettered. A further sign there that Graham would always connect with you personally and remember you years later. But Jamie Parkin got to see a very different side of Graham when he first met him. Back in the summer of 1986, I was a freshly signed up junior Hornet and we were invited along to, I think it was a sort of sports day at the ground, but also a chance to meet the players and uh, get their signatures. Graham's there introducing various members of the squad and we get a chance to meet them and get their autograph. Eventually, the player that I think myself and probably everyone else have been waiting for, John Barnes, gets introduced to us. Immediately, there's just a a mad rush of uh, junior Hornets sort of uh, running along in the front of the stand trying to uh, get to um, the player and uh, and get his autograph. I thought it'd be a good idea to jump over the old uh, white perimeter wall and run along the touchline. All going well until about probably 10, 20 metres into it when I hear a rather loud, strict voice shouting at me and telling me in no uncertain terms to get to the back of the queue, which is um, probably, you know, very typical Graham um, and of course my my sort of first appreciation of the discipline of the great man. You could say that we don't push in at this club. But what was it like for other Watford managers to meet him for the first time? Here's Sean Dyche talking about the time when he was manager and Graham was the Watford chairman. Agreed a contract, sat with Graham, and Graham was just very, very, the thing he was very open with and the thing that I was most impressed with other than just him and his moral values and the way he conducts himself because he's, he's, he's good at that anyway he's got a great manner about him was he just left it to me he said look I'm not here to dominate your position he said I'm here to just be in the background and help you and I, that takes a tremendous strength to do that because once you're in it's like being a manager you see your assistant doing something or your coach and you want to step in because you think well I want it doing like that but the strength is to not step in and allow them to do it that's why you trust them and I think, you know, for someone who'd done what he'd done in the game, 
to do that, particularly at this club. You know, the clubs he's been at, I know he's got a great connection at Villa as well. Not like the connection here. So to allow me to have my chance of doing it, however I saw fit, and stay out the way in, a, in the best sense, other than when you needed him, I think that takes tremendous strength and, and, and sort of a strong moral compass to allow me to do that. And he genuinely did allow me to do that. Didn't stick his nose in, in, in the best way, you understand. Um, I'd ring him now and again, what do you think? He'd watch games if he couldn't get to the game on DVDs, give me a couple of, you know, his opinion, by the way. But what I mean is he wasn't down the training ground, he wasn't ringing me after every game, he wasn't saying, why aren't you doing this or why aren't you doing that? It was more offer and suggestion, you know, and I just think that takes tremendous strength of character to allow someone else to do that at a club like Watford. Finally, Tony Coton. Graham met hundreds of players in all his managerial positions. So did he make a great first impression to the players he wanted to sign. Listen, uh, I've said it before that with probably within five, ten minutes of meeting him, I knew I wanted to play for him. And I think that's that's got to be any aspiring manager or any manager that if you can win a player over within ten minutes, I know it's difficult now because you've got to go through agents and, and all that. There's none of them about at the time. But listening to him for five or ten minutes, I knew that I was going to be leaving my beloved Birmingham to come and join Watford. I still believe it was the best thing that ever happened to me, to my career. And just watching him, he, he was just, he was so far ahead of, if we'd have had the technology then, what we have now, I, he'd, have been, he'd have been out of this league. Honestly, he would have been out of this league because he was so forward thinking, so far ahead of his time. And as I say, five or ten minutes, that's all it took me to convince me to, to sign. I'd have, I'd have signed for less money. It weren't a lot more, but I'd have for less, you know what I mean? It was just, it was, it, that was just the way he was. He was a magnificent man. Meeting Graham was always, uh, uh, you know, for what fans, an amazing thing, but for lots of people it was a, a fantastic thing. Colin, do you remember, when, did you ever meet Graham? I did meet him, actually, bizarrely. I met him, um, my father-in-law worked uh, for the MCC, so he always had guest tickets to games at Lord's. And I went with my wife, and they used to have lunch in this tent out the back of the pavilion. They put, they erected this tent. You go in there, and you sit in these round tables uh, with random strangers, mostly. And uh, one of the times I went there, it was just after uh, Graham Taylor had come back to Watford uh, when we were in League One, or just before we went into League One. And there, and there he was, in the tent. I couldn't believe it. So I said to my wife, oh, it's Graham Taylor. I think I'm going to have to go and say something. And I'd obviously seen him from afar in the past, but I never actually met him properly. And uh, she went, go on, go on. <laughs> so I walked over to him and said, oh, hello, Mr. Taylor. <laughs> it was about 30-something, and I felt like a schoolboy. And uh, he said, oh, hello. And I said, I'm, I'm a Watford fan. I'm just, I'm just really pleased that you've come back to the club. And he shook my hand, at which point I sort of stood up like a sick for me, you know, meeting the headmaster. And uh, he said, well, I'm, I'm really hoping that I can bring back the glory years, which, of course, he then, he then rather brilliantly did with the double promotion. You felt the, the presence of the man just in those few seconds when I was with him, even though obviously I'm a Watford fan and hold him in very high esteem. You did feel his, his authority, but also his kind of humanity. So I think the honour that's taken place today, producing this statue, which looks great. And as you said, John, it has a kind of interactive element to it because he's sitting on a bench, which you can then sort of join him on. It's great for families and kids to have their photos taken and so on. But I just love that the, that the Potsdams once again have have shown that they, they value the history of our club. They, they named a stand after Graham, they've named a stand after Elton. They don't, 
they, they seem to be as concerned with our experience as supporters and remembering the past of the club rather than only focusing on the present and the future. And I really, really love that. Uh, it was a really emotional event. Um, and thank you to everybody who contributed to their stories about how... Oh, Andre Gray. <coughs> Early in the second half. Uh, yeah, their stories about when they met Graham. Uh, that really does sum up the man. So thank you very much to everybody who, who contributed uh, their story. So, Colin, we're not going to talk about this game in any great depth because um, it is a pre-season game with most of the bench having played 90 minutes yesterday uh, in a under-23s match. So, you're looking at this. You, you, you've got to be excited because it's Watford again. Um, but what in particular, are you, are you taking anything so far from your game? One of our new additions, Ken Semmer, just, just got the ball down on his chest inside the box and blasted it a few inches over the crossbar. And he's really the only new boy that's on show today. Uh, but I must say, I, I'm quite impressed with him because I think we paid about 1.5 million quid for him from Ostersund, from Sweden. Uh, but the thing that he seems to be able to do is to get behind his man and get a cross off. Uh, so I think that's quite exciting. I haven't had a chance to see Navarro or Messina. Obviously, we've got our glorious uh, goalkeeper. Uh, it's great to have him back. And, and he seems uh, to be in, in good form, all in red, which... Um, Slightly controversial, seeing as our away kit is all green. But anyway, that's for another day. Um, so I haven't really had a chance to see uh, the, the new full-backs. I mean, that's that, that's the, the annoying thing about this game. Surely the club know that on the last pre-season game, you have to play all the new players. Even if they're out of position, you have to play them so we can have some sort of opinion yeah. on them ready for next week when we kick off the season at home to Brighton. I, I don't think Premier League uh, preparation... Colin is put Troy Deeney back in the goals. 1-1. One, one. Troy Deeney, what was number nine? <laughs> um, that's what we wanted. So that, that's the most important thing. Because I said the one thing I, I was looking forward to with the team today was Troy up front with Andre, which we were sort of crying out for a bit last year. Because that's when they're both most effective. Yeah, so that's interesting. He's, he's decided to play a 4-4-2. Uh, and he's put Dini and Gray up front and they just linked up for that goal. So, I mean, that, that's quite an exciting prospect. I suspect that's a plan B, not a plan A, but we're, we're watching it today. They both, the whole, the, the demeanour of the team seems quite happy. They're they all chatting away. There's no, I mean, you know, it's a pre-season game. It's boiling hot, obviously, but I don't know. There's, there's quite a good feeling around the club, I think. Um, Hughes, I have to say, looks like he's picked up where he left off. He's buzzing around. He, look, he looks terrific. His link-up play is great. Kapu's playing quite deep, almost really in a three with Cabaselli and Cathcart. But you posed a question earlier about who would you have alongside Cabaselli as your first choice from the choices we've got. And I, I have to say, I do think that Cathcart seems to be fit and, uh, and operating well. And I think that he, this is our, if we're going to play two, and these are our two, if we're going to go to a three, which I'm sure we will do at some point, then we've got another choice to make. For me, it would be Mariapa because of his pace and the way he closes players down, as, as we saw towards the end of last season. He makes the odd mistake and he's not very tall, but in a three, I think he works very well. The great news this week uh, was a, a signing, not a new signing, a re-signing, or a further signing, what's, what's the word? A new contract anyway, at least for uh, Adelaide Corre. Um, and the fact that you know, we've got him signed up for at least another five years. Um, 
you know, we know five years is, is partly let's give the lads some more cash and let's keep his value for us to be able to sell them on. But, you know, Kapu playing here today, this isn't Kapu in his happy place and there certainly seems to be a decore hole uh, in this, uh, this 11. That's absolutely right. I mean, Kapu is playing... I think Kapu always plays better when he's got a midfielder behind him, when he doesn't have to do all the, all the clearing up, the running around, the closing down. He, he's, that's just not his game. He can't put out fires. He doesn't read the game in that way. He doesn't see where the danger's coming from and get there and stop it in the way that Decore does or someone like Kante does. Uh, so he looks, the game is slightly passing him by today. He's, he's there in front of Cavaselli and Cathcart, but he's, he's, not, he's not being very effective. His great strength, Kapu, is his passing. And that's not, you don't get to do that if you play where he's playing today. Uh, so I, I'm sure he's got a role at the club, Kapu. He signed another contract as well, is that right? Um, and, but I think he has to play with someone behind him or maybe two people behind him. Because then I think he's got the freedom to find the space that he likes, the little gaps in between the lines, and make those passes that can be devastating. But today he looks <laughs> he looks like he's having to do a job he doesn't really want to do. No. Uh, there's me saying we weren't going to really pick this game apart, but I think we have done a little bit, but not, not too much. Uh, I say the, 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 the proper podcast, uh, in our normal way of talking about the, the game each week, will start next week. And anyone who was at the game today, as you walked up Vicarage Road, uh, just past the cemetery, uh, you would have seen a lovely banner for the Watford Treasury, uh, a new... Uh, publication uh, that came out uh, last week uh, has been on sale today pretty much sold out which you'll hear from uh, and I spoke with Colin Payne the, the editor of the Watford Treasury to find out more about it and something that you, you should definitely get hold of so here's Colin Colin, how did uh, the Watford Treasury come about? Well, John, it started off with the Hornet History Facebook group. started off, just to be honest, it was just programme-based and people started posting photos, memorabilia, history. It sort of started there. We got together a few like-minded souls, about half a dozen of us, and sort of said we can make this something more tangible, something itself that would be a little bit of heritage and something in book form that would be really impressive. And it is. It is very impressive. Um, and I think my favourite thing about it is that, you know, we've just seen the Graham Taylor statue being unveiled. And ever since Scott Graham died, I've sort of had a, a feeling of wanting to know more about the past. Bought myself a retro shirt. Are there bits in particular that sort of stood out for you while you were, you were doing it? I think while we were doing it, it was um, just some of the photos, some of the stuff I'd never seen before that started to come through once people knew what we were doing. And they sort of almost acted as catalysts for articles. And we went from almost going from a different way where originally most people would look at an article then source the photos. We were getting these fantastic images and then suddenly behind them it was the story. There was the stories to tell. It's been so good. Exciting almost sort of getting the stories behind the images. And I think that's the thing for me. The magazine contains some fantastic double page spreads. And you see, like, you can still see the landmarks, like the red line in the background, yet this totally different app environment where there's a terrace with telegraph poles on and dog track and race board. And, and these are the things It just, you can picture it. You can almost picture them images coming to life with Ollie's Hornet Heaven. The voices come in your head yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, you're looking yeah. at the pictures and you're seeing these old characters and you've almost, now they've got voices and characters to go with it. We've tapped into a market here that maybe it already existed but wasn't sort of in one place but with the Facebook group as well and the magazine suddenly people are showing a real interest and it's amazing to see some of the stuff that's out there 
that people own and are willing to share and I think that's been part of it as well just how unprecious people have been with their memorabilia and their artefacts and hopefully with the magazine people have come to us now and issue two will have people coming to us and saying look what I've got there's a story behind this and to me that's fantastic. There's one article uh, about Johnny uh, Goodall, uh, who we, we're outside Watford uh, Vicarage Road Cemetery now, and, and at the end of the last season we did a, uh, a podcast about him, uh, a nice long piece about him. Uh, are there any other sort of pieces uh, particularly that we should people should look out for? I think the 68-69 season one is a, a great one because it's got some great images, but also it's from a personal aspect. It's uh, David's telling the story of, of a teenager and what that season meant to him. And it isn't just what happened, the results. It's actual that personal, that feel where you go, yeah, that wasn't my season. My season was 77, 78. But it equates to it. It's that one special season. He encapsulates it great. There's another thing about a horse show on the pitch. Like, and, and this wasn't at the end of the season. This is pre-season, three weeks before the first game. They've got a horse show, Jim Carner and carriages rolling across the Vicarage Road turf. And it, it sort of highlights just what a different time that was. And I would say the images, the pictures, they, people need to see the magazine to see just how good these pictures are. I think um, the next issue was certainly um, Jeff, who did the John Goodall ones. I don't I want to sort of give too much away, but he's looking at doing a feature on 70s goalies, which is a totally different thing, but it will be of a similar length, similarly in-depth, and we'll look at sort of the characters and some of the lesser-known ones as well. But at the moment, it's pretty much work in progress. Yeah, I mean, I'm, we, we can see that you've got a, a lot of empty boxes um, that uh, it's selling really well. Uh, if, uh, if, if people want to get hold of it, uh, where can they get hold of them? Right, at the moment we were planning to sell at the Brighton game, been a victim of our own success and basically we're looking at, we're going to be sold out in the next few minutes as I'm talking. So we're looking at the Crystal Palace game, we will be set, we'll have a reprint and we'll be on the streets with lots and lots of boxes of it. Easy to see, we'll be along Vicarage Road or people can buy it mail order from the Watford Treasury .co.uk or from Watford Museum we're keeping a stock of boxes there for people to buy who's in the Watford area but anyone that's not in the Watford area between now and the Palace game if they look on the internet they can buy a mail order and we'd be happy to post them to you it's congratulations uh, for you and the rest of the team it's a fantastic thing uh, and I think it's something that every Watford fan should get hold of a podcast made by Watford fans, fans. for Watford fans from the rookery end so thank you very much to, uh, for listening to the podcast and thank you very much for uh, listening to the podcast we've done over the summer. Our walk, prostate cancer, we're, we're nearing on £5,000 that we've raised. So thank you very much for all your donations. Plus we uh, also did a, a new series we started with Lionel Burney uh, where we uh, try to talk to the people uh, who played a part in Watford's history both on and off the pitch. Uh, we have had uh, Annie Hesitile already, uh, Nigel Gibbs, but also uh, the next up will be uh, an interview that I did with Eddie Boothroyd up at St George's Park uh, earlier in the year so that's coming out in a few weeks time but we start the, the our podcast properly as I said next week uh, but before that uh, during the week we're going to have uh, another episode of Hornet Heaven coming out uh, if you don't subscribe to that podcast please go and uh, search for Hornet Heaven uh, you are the voice the, the narrator and the, all the characters Colin of Hornet Heaven what can we expect in the, the new series um, Ollie's done something uh, terrific he's, he's written four episodes which are uh, a single story so each episode is left with a slight cliffhanger and we move into the next uh, episode two and then episode three and it's resolved in episode four and um, I don't want to give too much away about it but it, it, it kind of focuses on a figure at the club that certainly I'd never heard of 
who, had, who, who at one time was a great benefactor and helped Watford Football Club become a league club. Uh, and his journey through these four episodes, something very odd happens to the ancient turnstile. <laughs> and uh, it means that uh, Hornet Heaven residents, when they take their programme through the ancient turnstile to watch a game, they discover that uh, they're not really watching the game they think they're going to watch. It's very, very exciting. It's very funny. Lots of your old favourites turn up. It's quite moving as well because Ollie's just brilliant at uh, mixing the comedy with the, with the history, with the nostalgia and with the emotion. So, um, yeah, if, if you haven't listened to it before... Um, this is season seven. Season seven, uh, I know. Four episodes in each, each series. I think it's two years old now. Uh, so, yeah, if you listen to podcasts and you listen from the weekend every week, then do have a, a listen to uh, The Hornet Heaven. Uh, but this particular series set around the... 77, 78 season, is it? It's uh, 76, 77, which was, uh, which was when Elton had arrived, but Graham hadn't arrived, and we were at a real low point. Uh, so that's out on, on Thursday. In fact, uh, we can, uh, a new feature which we're having on from the weekend from week to week, where we have uh, Henry, Henry Grover, the father of the club, uh, and Johnny Allgood, uh, their most prolific, high-profile manager that we had uh, in the Victorian era uh, of Watford's history. So Henry and um, Johnny are sitting in the in the captain's bar talking about the game that's coming up and they're doing a bit of preview about whether they like Palace or hate Brighton or whether what they think the score is going to be or who's going to play well. So here is the first uh, Henry and Johnny's Premier League preview. Henry and Johnny's Premier League previews. Brighton at home. You know what, Johnny? I hate Brighton. But why, Henry? They're harmless, aren't they? Ach, wait, no, they're not. Anthony Knockhart plays for them. What a horrible little man. Actually, old thing, my hatred goes back much further than that. In the 1920s, we played Brighton in the FA Cup, four seasons in a row. We couldn't get rid of them. It was like we'd trodden in something. But we must have enjoyed playing them sometimes. That's true, I suppose. Our first ever home game against them in the Southern League was a 5-1 win in 1903, when you were our manager. That was marvellous. And then there was that home win against them in our first season in the top flight in November 1982. Luther scored twice in a 4-1 win. Happy days, Henry. Stop it, Johnny. You're leading me on. I don't want to let happy memories spoil things. What? Why? because we've already played Brighton 166 times in our history. I'm bored of them. I need to hate them just to spice up the fixture a bit. Ah, I see. Well, in that case, why don't we just sit here quietly and think about Anthony Knockhart? Aha! Good suggestion, old chum. Let's do that. Grrr. The diving cheat. Mm, the pathetic crybaby. There, that's better. Right, I'm ready for the game now. I'm predicting it'll be 3-0 to Watford, Johnny, to get our season off to a spiffing start. Uh, so Brighton is next week, Colin. Yes. Come on, the football <laughs> is back. It's all back. Oh, it's so great to be back. Sitting here in the family stand with the sun beating down on Vicarage Road, the, uh, the stadium has transformed over the last uh, five years. Looks fantastic. I, I must uh, say uh, that um, the beginning of the 2018-2019 season will mark the beginning of my 50th season as a Watford fan. 
the first game I went to was in 68, 69 with my mum and my brother. So um, that's a bit of a milestone for me, something I'm really looking forward to. Uh, and we'll be sharing that with both my daughters um, uh, over the next, over the coming months. Can't wait for the new season to begin. I think the first game, uh, as always, is uh, very exciting. I can't remember the last time we won. Have we won a Premier League game? First game of the season? I'm not sure we have. No. Uh, drew with Everton. Drew with Everton. Drew, drew with, with Liverpool. Liverpool. What happened to Walter? <laughs> I can't remember. It wasn't memorable. Yeah, we I've know that much. Walter, yeah. yeah. So I think, you know, we've got Brighton at home. We, we would like the three points. They'll think well, we could get something from that game. It's Watford. Uh, then we've got Burnley away. We've got Arsenal and Tottenham. And we've got Palace at home as well. So we've got, you know, we've got a couple of tough games. But we've also got some games that we'd like to think we can win. Uh, and as always in the Premier League, if you get off to a good start, you take the pressure off yourself immediately uh, and then you can look forward to the, the coming games with a bit more confidence. Well, we'll see which 11 uh, start for Watford. Oh! Excuse oh. you from distance. Uh, which start, will it be anything like this 11 we see? Will it be any of the injuries that we've had actually just saying, well, we'll rest you, ready for that big game uh, against Brighton. Uh, hopefully when it's hot, because it's particularly hot today. But uh, it's a new season for Watford. Uh, they're fourth in the Premier League, uh, which is in itself an amazing feat. Uh, and we'll see how things go. In the previous podcast, you would have heard at the uh, family barbecue we had, uh, Jason has mapped out the entire season. And it, it should be a fair, fairly fun season if things go to plan that way. Uh, but thank you much, Colin. Thank you very much. Uh, and uh, thank you to Watford, actually, for, for the day that they put on uh, with uh, the, the unveiling of the uh, Graham Taylor statue, which is something that you know, we as fans uh, and future fans will get to see, to remember what a great man he was uh, and what he did for, the, for this football club. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, do subscribe either by Google Podcasts or by Apple Podcasts. Uh, and we'll be back next week for more From the Rookerend. Come on, you horns!